You're listening to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for all the lazy learners who are learning to navigate life after Mormonism. I'm your host, Lindsay Ron, a personal trainer, nutritionist, health coach, and post-Mormon. Come with me as we re-examine everything you've ever been taught over the pulpit about nutrition, mental health, sexuality, and body autonomy, so that you can experience your best health beyond Mormonism. Now let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based podcast for Mormon-flavored people who are looking to learn how to navigate their health beyond what they learned from the pulpit. I'm your host, Lindsay Ron. Before we start, I just wanted to invite you to come play Healthy Boundaries Bingo with me inside my Facebook group. It's called Health Beyond Mormonism Community. We are going to be playing November 13th through 17th. As you all know, if you're listening to my podcast, you are either inside the church and asking questions and going through that process, or you have left the church at some point. Either way, you are likely being bombarded or feeling like you're being bombarded by friends and family about their opinions about how you express your spirituality. And this can be quite unpleasant. And so Healthy Boundaries Bingo is meant to be a fun game to help give you some tools and resources of how to set healthy boundaries and how to maintain them in order to preserve the relationships that you can or learn how to maybe uh, set boundaries against some relationships that are no longer serving you. And so this is going to be a valuable resource. There's going to be a live every day where I teach a short little lesson on how to set boundaries. And there's going to be bingo cards that you can print out. There will be prizes. Everybody who finishes a bingo gets free goodies. And it's going to be great. So November 13th through 17th, you've got to join the Facebook group Health Beyond Mormonism Community in order to play. So come play with us. It's going to be great. Okay, now on to the episode. This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is an adult episode. We are going to be talking about adult things. So if you're driving in the car and you've got kids present, turn off the podcast now because... This is likely not something that you want to be listening to with kids in the car. Okay, uh, today we're going to be talking about a really sensitive topic. Hopefully this is going to be kind of fun. I'm going to try to make it fun, but it's uncomfortable for me too. We're going to be talking about masturbation. My working title for this episode has been Hold to the Rod. I'm not sure if I'm actually going to call it that. Um, but this is a really important topic Uh Obviously, you know, I'm a health coach, I'm an evidence-based coach, and I serve ex-Mormons, and masturbation and sexuality in general is a huge health topic, and this is actually something that has impacted my clients' health journeys in a pretty major way. And so I thought that this would be a really important resource if I could make a podcast episode kind of dealing with, you know, some of, you know, what does the evidence say coming from a health perspective, coming from a mental health pe perspective, um, this can be a resource for you to sort of have more of a handle on what we're looking at here. I would prefer to take the shame out of the whole topic. That's a really hard thing to do. This internalized shame system goes deep and for myself included, like I have a really hard time saying the word masturbate because it's like a bad word. Like I feel like I'm swearing. Uh, it's uncomfortable to talk about and you know the best way to get through that discomfort is to talk about it so that's what we're here for today we're going to talk about masturbation now don't don't get weird on me okay this is not a how-to we're not going to get pornographic I'm not going to be teaching you how to masturbate we're just going to be talking about it generally okay Again, I seriously hope that you turned off this podcast if you've got kids in the car because this may be a tragedy. <laughs> but, um, let's get into it. So inside Mormonism, you know, the topic of masturbation is a really kind of shameful, big, big topic. There are few people that I know of who have spent any 
reasonable amount of time inside the church who have not had experience with the repentance process due to masturbation. Um, mostly because I suspect most people are doing it, whether they admit it or not. And, you know, the best way to steer clear of that repentance process, as it turns out, was actually just to lie to the bishop when he asks. And that's not even a joke. Um, most people have some experience with masturbation. If I were to guess a number, I would say 110% of boys, maybe 90% of girls, but I'm just making that up. But in reality, like a lot of people do it, a lot of people did it, and inside the church, it is one of the temple recommend questions, and so a lot of people are lying about it, which honesty is also one of the temple recommend questions. So there you go. So what does the church actually say about it? The church website does not have the word masturbation anywhere on it. I looked. Actually, I'm a little concerned about what my web history is going to be showing after doing my research for this podcast, but at least on the church's website, that word doesn't show up at all. They tend to refer to it in different varying levels of directness using words like sexual purity or like chastity or... You know, when you go into some of the older talks from the 1970s, they might call it like self-purging or like they're not going to use the word masturbation. And I suspect you're also not going to find the word fuck or anything like that on the church website just because, you know, it's a church website. They don't want to be coming up in Google search parameters when people are looking up the word masturbation and then www.churchofjesuschrist.org pops up with one of their gospel topics essays. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Uh, no, but for real, um, you know, masturbation is one of the family of sexual sins included in the law of chastity. There is a gospel topics essay about ch chastity just talking about how, you know, it's, it's really sexual purity, right? And uh, as being a level of sexual sin, um, it is very serious inside the church. Like it will get your temple recommend revoked, which will bar you from the temple, which will in essence bar you from your eternal blessings, which I mean, basically means like if you're masturbating here on earth that you don't get to have access to your eternal family in the afterlife. So it is very, very serious. Also inside the church, if you do happen to confess to the bishop and that's that's one of the things It's a serious enough sin that you have to confess to the bishop so he can use his priesthood power to declare your repentance complete. But a lot of times, if you confess that type of sin to the bishop, at his discretion, he will decide how serious your sin was. So that's that's kind of the game of bishop roulette because some bishops don't really care that much and some take it very seriously. But if you lose the game of bishop roulette, he may have you go on a period of what they would call like penance or probation and that's where, you know, for a certain amount of time, you're not allowed to take the sacrament. And a lot of times they'll have you like, they'll send you home with a list of scriptures and things to read. And they might have you like write in your journal or things like that, say certain prayers or things. But um, it, it's the not taking the sacrament that's kind of the issue because that's a very public thing. And that, you know, a lot of people inside the church are paying attention to who's not taking the sacrament and they're guessing. And that really can be a form of, you know, public shame. You know, everybody knows that you're not taking the sacrament. Oh, why are you not taking the sacrament? You know, and um, people can be quite gossipy inside the church. You know, it's a small group of people who all knows each other and they're all up in each other's business. And so that's, you know, pretty negative. I mean, as you can tell, I, I have some opinions about how the church does their paradigm of sin. I, as a health coach, feel like it's fairly destructive overall and really could be overhauled completely. You, you know, I, I could do a whole podcast on this, but you know, they could overhaul how sin is treated in the church to make it actually a really positive form of um, behavioral uh, motivation without the shame being involved. Shame is like the worst way to motivate positive behavior change. Shame is not a healthy thing in any way, shape or form. At any rate, there's a long way around to say the church doesn't like masturbation. They actually, I don't know if you remember, Natasha Helfer 
as famous, very public um, psychologist, and she was very publicly against the way that the church deals with uh, sexuality and masturbation and sin. And um, she got excommunicated because what she was saying was what basically, you know, psychology says today. And that is that masturbation is healthy and normal and fine to do. And she was sticking with the, the research and not toting the church's party line. And the church didn't like that. And so they excommunicated her. So if that's all it takes to get excommunicated out of Mormonism, maybe we can all do it if we just start talking openly about, you know, some of these difficult, sinful topics that were so shameful. And then now outside the church, we're finding out that they're actually normal and healthy. If we just talk about it a lot, maybe the church will just go ahead and excommunicate like all kinds of people. We can go out together. Uh, I mean, I'm kidding, but... I, I do kind of think that that would be funny. Make a little party. Anyway, so um, as I was writing out this episode, um, I posted up to my Facebook group, the Health Beyond Mormonism community, and I asked, what were you taught was the reason why masturbation was bad? You know, why was it a sin? I also asked the same question on the Mormon Enlightenment Facebook group just to get more people involved um and the results that i got were you know people were taught that masturbation was the next sin next to murder uh they were taught that it's really only a boy problem and that girls don't ever have to deal with it really girls are supposed to make sure that they're modest so that they don't tempt boys to go masturbate you know because the boy's sin would be the girl's fault right of course we're responsible for other people's sin Anyway, people on the Facebook group were so great, you know, giving me inspiration for this. They said that they were made to feel like they were the only one who had a problem with masturbating or that they were made to feel like their masturbating habits were a problem. They were taught that, you know, more masturbation leads to addiction or that masturbating turns you homosexual. Um, there were a couple of things couple of sources that were quoted a lot. One was the miracle of forgiveness and the other was the the little factory talk by Boyd K. Packer. I could do a full episode picking apart <laughs> the miracle of forgiveness and I could do a full episode picking apart the little factory talk. Um, watch for that in the future. I will. But at any rate, there was a lot of doctrine that was quite harmful out of both of these sources. And, um, you know, the miracle of forgiveness is the famous one for, I think that was the one that Spencer W. Kimball was teaching that if you masturbate, uh, it will lead to masturbating in groups, which will lead to developing feelings of homosexuality, um, which we know that that's not how people become homosexual. <laughs> it's really funny like nowadays, it's really funny to think that people actually thought that. But, you know, in the 70s, they totally did. Uh, that was like, that was the common repeated, you know, like, how do people become homosexual? But because they were sinning in the first place, right? Like, I, I feel like that's just hilarious. Also very destructive. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the miracle of forgiveness was, it, it, it's been taken out of print. It's been taken out of even ebook status from all church sources and Deseret books because it was so problematic. There were people coming home from missions in dishonorably discharging themselves from missions because they were masturbating on their missions. They just happened to be young adults who are single and expecting themselves not to be touching themselves in any way for two years straight. And, um, you know, people would come home from missions. They would also use that book as a source of huge shame about all kinds of sin. I mean, they, they state all kinds of sins in that book, but uh, it's been, you know, it's been a source of um, suicide attempts. You know, people read that book. It's so destructive. And when they really, really believe it and really, really believe that it was a prophetic, um, you know, like a revelation and treat it seriously like that, then they're left to believe that they are the one with the problem. 
and you know it just can cause horrible horrible mental health issues for people anyway among the other things that people were taught inside the church please tell me that you have read the little factory talk <laughs> uh, it, it's called Two Young Men Only by Elder Boyd K. Packer from 1976. And I, you guys, I'm going to have to do a whole podcast episode picking this one apart. But it is just absolute Mormon sex shaming gold. Just every bit of health advice, everything he touches on is reliably false and destructive. <laughs> it's... It's humorous. Um, you know, he basically says, you know, the male body is a factory that produces a life-giving substance, <laughs> um, which would be semen. And it will produce an oversupply that has to be released. And um, he says, if you just don't masturbate, it'll automatically release in your sleep, um, which, which is actually true. Uh, pe you know, people who let it out often enough don't tend to have those wet dreams but he says if you if you take it on yourself to release your life-giving substance um it can become a habit and it can cause you to feel guilt and that you know the more you masturbate the more you speed up the factory so you know he's basically saying that if you masturbate more it'll increase your sex drive and that's, you know, may or may not be true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't stop laughing at this. This is like my favorite church talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then he then he goes on to talk about how you need to sing a hymn whenever you feel tempted. <laughs> it just gets me thinking about how... I don't remember which comedian said, but like now every time they hear choose the right, they start to have sexual temptation <laughs> because they've associated the hymn with the feeling. <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys, if you really want a fun time, go read that talk. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It will make you angry. You'll feel the whole range of emotions. It's just, it's just wonderful that this was taught at General Conference and that this was, this was used as doctrine. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm having way too much fun. I had to pause to, to put myself back together again because I was laughing about that <laughs> little factory talk. Um, anyway, so then, you know, outside of the church, like in society, there's all kinds of like mis misconceptions, like, you know, wrong beliefs that are taught about masturbation and these these are some of these are even more funny so if you masturbate uh what society is taught is that you can you can go blind <laughs> you can develop hairy palms uh you can develop mental illness um the shrinkage or curvature of your penis <laughs> decreased sperm count erectile dysfunction lowered libido and infertility those were less fun but that whole list was all false like those those have all been disproven handily um by you know health like all the studies all the research has shown no you cannot masturbate and go blind <laughs> no you will not develop hairy palms uh, <laughs> i'm sorry oh boy this just, it makes me laugh because it's so ridiculous. But in reality, getting back to the real stuff, what the science actually shows is that masturbation can be very helpful and very positive overall. Um, like in reality, and this has been well studied too, like sex is a whole line of research that, you know, there's people working on it. I mean... Everybody has sex. It's a, such an important part of your health. And it's such an important part of your mental health that there's, you know, there's loads and loads of, of research on every topic you can think of sex related. But anyway, masturbation has been shown to relieve built up stress. It can help you sleep better. It can boost your mood. It can help prevent anxiety and depression. It can help you relax. Uh, it, it'll help you feel pleasure and enjoyment. It can relieve menstrual cramps. 
It can release sexual tension, improve your self-esteem, have better sex. It can help you better understand your own wants and needs and how your body works. Uh, it might even help prevent prostate cancer. Like, this is actually a net positive overall. And looking at it that way, you know, putting everything into perspective that like we were taught inside the church, it just, it almost seems like this was all a missed opportunity and that we've been missing out on this, you know, really important aspect of of our health, of our autonomy, our body autonomy, you know, for our entire lives. And I, I feel like that's really a very sad thing. So could there be downsides to masturbation? Yes, there could be downsides. Um, if you do it too much or too rigorously, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing again. If you do it too much or too rigorously, you can get chafing or swollen parts. I would hope that you would probably lose interest before you get that far, but you know, you do you. Also, if you do it too much, too rigorously, it can decrease your sensitivity. And that's just because of the fact that things are rubbing on each other. Your skin is not as sensitive after that. Masturbation can be involved in what they call compulsive sexual behavior. Now, this is a huge topic, this compulsive sexual behavior. I could probably do a whole podcast episode on this because it is very, very nuanced and very controversial. Compulsive sexual behavior could also be called sex addiction or hypersexuality. You guys have heard the term sex addiction. If you are alive on the planet Earth and you pay any attention to like Hollywood stars, you've heard the term sex addiction. And likely inside the church, you've heard people using, misusing the term sex addiction. But basically, compulsive sexual behavior is not listed in the DSM-5 as a diagnosis. Now, it can be included in diagnoses that are sort of adjacent, like impulse control disorder or behavioral addiction. But it's really treated more like that, like more like a behavior addiction rather than like a physical addiction. And so it can be real tricky because like when you're, when you're talking about behavioral addiction, like you could be behaviorally addicted to anything, you know, they've got like gambling and video game addiction, but like really anything that spikes your dopamine, like you could get addicted to, like there's people addicted to exercise. Like, is that bad for them? Well, I don't know. It maybe depends on how much they're exercising. But it's really hard to put things in categories that they don't fit neatly. And sex is not like a drug. Like, yes, it does release dopamine and other neurotransmitters. And it does give you pleasure. But when it comes to like the addictive component of it, it may have more to do with what is your general mental health like? What's going on in your life? Is your brain feeling such a need to have those pleasures because it's not having pleasure in a normal, healthy way in the rest of life in general? And, you know, and so if you do feel like you are compulsively having addictive symptoms, around sex, around masturbation or pornography or anything like that, I recommend you go ahead and get yourself some help. Uh, you know, get yourself a therapist. They will help you sort out what's what and who's who and, you know, really work on yourself because it likely isn't actually the sex that's the problem. I, I, I think, you know, with the behavioral disorders, often it's not the thing itself, but it's a much more complex landscape of everything that's going on. And some of that may also include, you know, chemical imbalances and things you may need to get some medicine, antidepressants or, or whatever may be involved. Like, you know, like I, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm a coach. But if I were your coach, I would tell you, if you suspect these things to go ahead and go to your doctor and get yourself, you know, whatever care that you need from, from your provider. But this is a really important nuance to understand because there are, inside the church, there is a lot of abuse of the word addiction. 
there are bishops telling people that they're sex addicts when maybe they masturbate once a month. And I'm not saying like maybe there are bishops. I'm saying I do know for a fact that there are bishops that are telling people they're sex addicts who do not actually qualify in any kind of diagnosable rubric. They don't count as an addict. And bishops are telling people that they're addicts. I know people. I know a bunch of people who have been told by their bishop that they were addicts and sent to whatever recovery programs the the bishop thinks are required for that. That is so incredibly destructive for your mental health to be told by your ecclesiastical leader who you are told is speaking for God and who has priesthood authority over you to be told that you have an addiction to something that you are not actually addicted to. There is no excuse for bishops telling people that they are addicted or for bishops diagnosing anybody with anything ever because bishops are not professional mental health experts. They're not doctors. They do not have any kind of special certifications or licenses and should not be providing anything that looks like therapy outside of the jurisdiction of just plain old theology, okay? If you have been through that kind of process with the bishop, if you have been told that you were an addict when actually you weren't, my heart goes out to you. That is absolutely awful. And I do recommend that the damage that that caused, you should likely be seeing a mental health professional to help you deal with that. Um, That is all levels of fucked up and... Obviously, I have strong opinions about this, but it is not okay to have people who are not trained in mental health stuff trying to diagnose people with mental health stuff, okay? So that also leads into like guilt and shame that you learn from church or family or even society in general about sexuality, about masturbation. The guilt and shame, like... Look, obviously there are times and places, right? Like you shouldn't be out there in public whipping out your junk and doing things out in public. There are times and places, but for engaging in this practice in the privacy of your own home, there is no sin. And that guilt and shame was actually placed there by the church. Like you got to think about like if you do this and you feel guilt or shame about it, And you think, okay, well, what's actually wrong with it? Like, am I taking something from somebody? Am I hurting somebody in any way? Am I hurting myself in any way? No, 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 no. None of those things are true. Why am I still feeling guilt and shame? Well, that's because you grew up in a culture where you were taught that that was a sin. And so there's an incongruency here, you know, knowing, you know, the facts of that there's, this is really not a bad behavior Versus the way that you feel inside. Well, that feeling was put there by the church. And like this is an example of like the cyclical, like, you know, the church created the problem that only the church can solve, right? So the church taught you to feel guilt and shame if you masturbate. But the only way to feel better from that guilt and shame is to go back to the church and go to your priesthood authority and confess and go through that repentance process. So the church gave you the problem. The church is the only solution. This cyclical thing in order to, I think, to me, I feel like it's in order to make people loyal to the church. I, I you know, that's probably not written anywhere. That's only my own thought. But it does make a lot of sense when it comes to, like, just the vast amount of people who have sexual sin inside the church and you know the church really wants people paying their tithing and fulfilling callings and you know the, all this volunteer stuff and in order to get people to do that they've got to motivate them somehow because you know teaching church lessons is really boring and paying tithing is really painful and so you know if they can sort of make you do it <laughs> because they're holding that repentance over your head, then that is a motivator for action. And they can they can really get that loyalty from people. Now, I'm saying I can I could be like a broken record about this. Shame is not 
a positive form of behavior change. And shame is not a good motivator for behavior change. Because if you get people feeling bad about themselves, they're not going to try to do healthy, good, positive things. They're going to try to do the minimum required to release the pain. And that's not the same thing. You know, so like I as a coach, like I'm, I'm a health coach. I'm trying to get people to make positive behavior changes. And if they're doing that because they feel like they are worthless or they feel like they are unworthy, they're not going to be motivated to do these behavior changes for very long because they're motivating themselves through pain. Whereas when we're talking about good psychology-based you know, motivations for behavior change, there are so many better ways to do it besides using shame. You know, like I, I, with my clients, I do a lot of like celebrating wins and gratitude and, you know, making sure that you recognize the good things that you've done and actually recognize that you are a good person and that you do deserve everything that life has to give you. And, you know, when my clients get better at recognizing all those good things, they learn to love themselves more. And they almost automatically are more successful with their health behavior changes that they're trying to implement because they love themselves. Because you will take care of the person that you love. You know, when shame gets in the mix, it is really, really hard to love yourself. So I, you know, I would encourage you if you are in a situation in any kind of relationship, whether it's with the church or with people where they're trying to use shame for behavior change, I want you to like flag that. That's a red flag. And go back and look at the nature of that relationship and really take a close look if that is serving you or not. Because if they're using shame to get you to do things that is manipulative and it's probably not in your best interest to stick around with that group or entity or person. So I have another I have another good source for you. Um this is really useful. There was a podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you guys listen to Factually with Adam Conover. I think a lot of his stuff is really fun. He is a comedian, but he does evidence-based, you know, discussions. And he'll bring in experts and stuff. But there was an episode. You can search for it. it I'll link it in the show notes here. But it's called The Myth of Sex Addiction and the Science of Sex with Nicole Prouse. This was so very interesting. So Nicole Prouse is a sex researcher. And I think she's up in uh, San Francisco and, and they've got this lab and the lab has a clinic, okay, a sex clinic. And she said people will come all the time, patients will come complaining of sex addiction. They'll come to the clinic, they'll be talking to the doctor, and the doctor will ask them, okay, well, why do you say that you have a sex addiction? And the patient will say, oh, well, because, you know, every so often I just really feel like I need to you know, that I need to masturbate or have sex. Like, it's like this thing that I feel like I'm almost out of control with. And then the doctor will ask again, why do you think that this is an addiction? And the person, you know, the person says, oh, well, because I just told you, because I feel like I'm driven to it. Like, I feel like, I feel like this is like, I'm, it's, I'm not in control of this. And it happens every so often. It's, it's like at a, at a rate, like I could almost, you know, mark it on the calendar of like how often this happens every week or maybe twice a week or maybe every day or whatever. And the doctor will ask again, what makes you think that this is an addiction? And after thinking about it at that point, you know, the patient will discover that it's not necessarily that they feel like they need to release their sexual energy. It's because their parents told them that they shouldn't be feeling that way or their church told them they shouldn't be feeling that way. Something, somebody in their community told them at some point that they shouldn't be feeling like they need to masturbate or that they need to look at porn or that they need to have sex. Like that sexual feelings are bad, basically. So go listen to that podcast episode. It was very helpful. The thing is, what they thought was addiction actually was what we call sex drive. And sex drive is very normal and natural. And everybody has a sex drive, whether it is a really voracious, you know, some people's sex drive naturally leads them to feel like they need to go relieve themselves several times a day. That still doesn't make it an addiction. 
that just means they have a really high sex drive. And if that person is able to, you know, find strategies to relieve themselves or hold it in until they can release it in appropriate places at appropriate times, that's not an addiction. And so, you know, to be labeling what is a normal, healthy sex drive as an addiction, that's almost like labeling having to go pee as an addiction. Like, oh my gosh, some people have to go pee several times a day. And if they don't, they start to get a lot of pain. They start to act really irrationally. You know, like they're, it's just not, you know, they, they must be addicted because they just, they feel driven. They have no control over this. They feel driven. They have to go pee several times a day. <laughs> and that's the same with the sex drive, you know. Some people don't have much of a sex drive and that's okay. Some people feel like they don't need to worry about that. And that's fine. But the point is, you know, it's more destructive to be mislabeling people as an addict than to just, you know, find strategies to let the sex drive be what it is. So with, you know, with that podcast episode and everything I learned there and everything I learned from, you know, doing the research for this podcast, I have a lot more compassion for people who do masturbate. You know, I, ha I feel a lot less judgment for people who feel like they have to do it more often. And I feel less judgment for people who feel like they don't ever have to do it or have never felt that kind of drive. Like, I, I feel like my eyes have been a little bit more open to, like, not judging other people's business. Because that's their business. It's not my business. Your sex drive, your, you know, if you, what you decide to do with your body is a part of your autonomy. And your autonomy is the most important aspect of you being able to live a healthy, happy life. If you don't feel like you have autonomy over your own body, any hopes of employing healthy, positive behavior changes in your life are going to go down the toilet. Like if you don't feel like you have control over your own life and you try to go on a diet and lose weight, ha, that's not going to last very long. Or you try to pick up an exercise regimen, it's not going to stick if you don't feel like you're the one making the choice. And it's the same thing for, you know, your psychology. If you don't feel like you're the one in your life making your decisions for your own life, you're going to have a really tough time interacting with your own brain and your own self in a healthy way. Okay, so the big question is, is it actually okay to masturbate? I think I've been pretty clear on this episode that it's fine. Like, it's neutral. I, I can't tell you to masturbate. That's weird. Um, I also can't tell you not to masturbate because that's also weird. You guys, it is weird for other people to express opinions about what you do with your own body. That's weird. <laughs> Masturbation can be really helpful for a lot of different things. I know that therapists uh, who are dealing with people who um, maybe they have had sexual trauma in the past, or maybe now they're in a relationship where they don't know how to orgasm. They don't know how to make their bodies work that way. Um, there are all kinds of reasons why therapists and doctors actually would recommend that people masturbate. It can be very, very helpful in learning how your own body works. And, you know, if you can learn how your body works, then obviously that's going to lead to a better relationship with your sexual partner. Masturbation can be a really helpful tool for couples whose libidos are not like timed up together very well. I don't believe that you have to have equally matching libidos to have a healthy, happy relationship. In fact, I think that most people don't match perfectly that way. In fact, I think that would be really rare to have two people who have the same libido. Libido is not really something that you're like in control of. Like some people say that you can like do this or that health thing to like improve your libido or whatever. But like, I don't think that that's healthy to be trying to like change your libido. I think that... You know, your sex drive can be an indicator if you have some health things going on. If you think that there's something wrong, you can go to the doctor. But when it comes to just general, like, how often you want to do it, if you don't match with your partner, that is, like, more than normal. It's expected. Like, you're not going to match with your partner most of the time. 
And in a church like Mormonism, or a lot of these, you know, evangelical purity-based churches where, you know, let's say the stereotypical thing is, you know, heterosexual marriage, the man has a higher libido than the woman, the man wants it more often than the woman, okay? When masturbation is a sin, essentially, that makes it so either the man is feeling deprived and really having a lot of trouble because he can't do it as often as he needs to be doing it. Remember, like, this sex drive is a body function. Uh, it's not him being greedy or selfish, okay? So he's feeling like he can't release as often as he needs to to be healthy. Meanwhile, she is feeling like she doesn't want to do it as often as he does. And she's actually responsible to prevent him from going and sinning. Because if masturbation is a sin and he's got to release, you know, every certain amount of days, it's her responsibility to prevent him from sinning. So she then is going to go have sex with him out of responsibility, not out of affection and love. Not following, so she's not able to follow her sex drive and her libido. He's made to feel guilty for making her have sex with him when he needs to release. Again, there's not really love there either. And so both of these people in this relationship, they could love each other greatly. They could have a great relationship outside of the bedroom. But now they're both being made to feel like they owe each other things or they're, you know, responsible for the other person for things. And <laughs> that's really a weird dynamic to be in. Um, but it's more common than not. I've heard, I've heard from like ex-evangelical um, TikTok accounts that there's like a 72-hour rule that some of the churches are teaching. The wife has to do it every 72 hours. You know, what if she doesn't want to? What if she's not feeling well? What if she's not up to it? When sex happens, it should be consensual and it should be exciting and fun and happy. It shouldn't be obligatory, you know. So the marriage therapists, the sex therapists, they actually recommend using masturbation as a way to equal the playing field. And that way the lower libido partner isn't always being pawed at all the time. And the higher libido partner can go ahead and take care of themselves without there being, you know, a fight and stuff. And, you know, also like communication, obviously, like the partners in the marriage would need to be comfortable with the strategy that they're using and communicating, you know, like I think that any secrecy or hiding or sneaking around, like that kind of thing is really terrible for a marriage. And I mean, I understand like if you're in like a mixed faith marriage, maybe one of you has left the church and you want to start exploring your body that way and the other is still in the church and has very strong opinions about what it means if you masturbate and the sin and maybe still feels like that's not something that should be going on. Like, look, I can't make decisions for what you guys decide between the two of you in your relationship. That is entirely up to you. But, and it's not easy either. Like, I'm not saying there's an easy answer. But if you can find a way to communicate about this, it's going to be better than if you're sneaking around. Okay. But assuming you can be on the same page with your partner, if you have a partner, employing masturbation as a tool to help reclaim your autonomy, like after leaving the church, can be really beneficial it can help your sex life. It can help your confidence in yourself. And just being able to claim, you know, like, I am a sexual person. I have a sex drive, a libido. It's okay to have sexual feelings. And that's one of the biggest, biggest things that I feel like we're not allowed to be expressed within the church was just like being okay with your sexuality like the, it, even after you're married like you know you're not you're still not supposed to be a sexual person even though you're supposed to do sex when you're married it's good to do sex when you're married but only in certain ways you know you guys have probably heard people talk about how like there's certain positions you're not supposed to do once you're married and you know it's just it's not helpful so my recommendations as a health coach, I want you claiming that autonomy. I want you, 
I want you building the life that you want in a positive way. I want you to have a healthy interaction with your own body. And so some of the ways to get away from like the shame and the weirdness is just to make sex and sexuality a topic that you talk about. You're allowed to talk about it, especially with friends or people that you feel safe around. But, you know, talk about sexuality. Go ahead and be sexy. Like if you want to wear an outfit that is sexy, go ahead. That's it's fine. You can dress yourself the way that you want to dress yourself. You're not in charge of other people's sin. And again, if a, if somebody looks at your the way that you're dressed and they feel sexual temptation, that is not a sin and it's also not your responsibility. Talk about sexuality. Normalize it. Use your own discretion, of course. You know, you may have different strategies when talking to different ages of people, but that's the way to get the shame away, you know. Just be open. Talk to your kids about sexuality. Teach them that their bodies are beautiful and that sexual feelings are normal. I mean, have have the discussion at appropriate times and, you know, like you, you're the best one to judge what your kids are ready for learning. But, you know, they need to know that sex isn't weird or gross or bad or wrong. In fact, if they can have the proper language to use around their body parts and around sexuality that can actually help keep them safe from people taking advantage of them too because they can talk about it right it's not so shameful if somebody you know somebody does something bad to your kid you want them to be able to come up to you and tell you what body part it happened and what it was that was going on you know talk to your kids about their bodies being normal and also talk to your kids about the appropriate times and places for them to explore their bodies The thing is, they will, especially little boys, but a lot of times little girls too, they will explore their bodies. And it's important that they understand you don't want them doing that like out in the public park or you don't want them to do that while they're sitting on grandma's lap. You know, they need to have at least a small understanding about privacy and that their private parts are special and they're just for them and that they need to keep them private and stay safe. Nobody else gets to touch those private parts until they're older. The way you go about it and what you teach exactly is really up to your family and how you teach it. But, you know, I would love to have my kids grow up without those layers of shame that I grew up with. Also, more recommendations, you know, if you're in a monogamous relationship, make sure you keep communication open. You want to make sure you stay away from any sneaking or anything like that. Be mindful of people's feelings, especially if you're in a mixed faith relationship. You know, be sensitive, but it's also important that you're able to set your boundaries and express yourself. You know, like if you want to be using your own autonomy and exploring your body the way that you feel like you need to be and your partner doesn't like that, that is not an invitation to sneak around. That is an invitation for further communication. Okay, your partner doesn't get to make decisions for you and your body. You don't get to make decisions for your partner and their body. But you do need to be open and honest with each other. So only you can decide how you feel about your sexuality and your sexual behaviors. Uh, Nobody can decide how you feel about it. You see how that works? Nobody can decide your feelings for you. This is autonomy. Autonomy is the most important part of being able to have a healthy relationship with your body and to be making those positive health behavior changes that you feel like you want to make. Watch for navigating the feelings of guilt around sin after leaving the church. Like it's okay to feel guilt. Feelings are real. They are happening. They are a chemical process happening inside your brain and body. Observe them without judgment You don't need to be telling yourself, I shouldn't be feeling that. Like, it's okay to feel them. Use that as an invitation to see why they came up, where they came from, and make sense of things. And it's totally okay to go see a therapist to help you make space, to help you make sense of the feelings. And, you know, just try to find a therapist who can be a safe space for these things. Like, obviously, you know, if you you are trying to get rid of the shame around masturbating and then you go to like an LDS therapist and then she's telling you you shouldn't be masturbating. 
like obviously that's not going to work. You need to make sure that your values are in line. But, you know, therapy can be really helpful for making sense of your feelings. And these feelings you have coming out of the church can be very, very complex. And that's okay. That's okay that they're complex, but it's also okay for you to go get some outside help. My last recommendation here would be uh, there's a book that was life-changing for me, and I think it would be life-changing for a lot of people. Uh, It's called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. This book was literally the first time I had ever been exposed to the idea that sexual feelings are okay. If you feel sexual feelings, that does not mean that you're a slut, that you're a sinner, that you're a floozy. Sexual feelings are okay. And not only are they okay, but they're actually really good. It is good to have sexual feelings and it's good to explore that. And I had never heard anything like that before I read that book. And it's funny because I read that book several years after I was already kind of out of the church. And so, you know, this just, you know, this goes into how deeply a lot of these feelings run. Uh, But if you feel like you're still very negative about sex, you still feel very guilty, get yourself a copy of that book and read through it and, you know, keep an open mind because she is a sex researcher and she did her homework and, you know, she, there might be some things in the book that are new to you or that you've never heard before. And it can be very helpful to be able to take care of yourself and your sexual health. So read that book. I'm going to go ahead and wrap. I think that I gave you guys way more information than you need. Thank you for staying with me for as long as you have. It means a lot to me. If this was an episode that is helpful for you, if it helped you think about things in a new way, or if you have takeaways, please share your takeaways. You know, come join my Facebook community, Health Beyond Mormonism community, (laughs) and share your takeaways there. Um, If you have friends or family who would benefit from hearing what I said here, maybe people who you've had conversations with in the past about masturbation or shame, share this episode with them. I want to be here as a resource for people going through this, you know, kind of hairy transition between leaving Mormonism and whatever is in the next step in your life. And so I hope that this was helpful for you. And lastly, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. This will really help the podcast to grow and help as many people as possible. Thanks again for listening all the way to the end. You guys are amazing, and I really, truly hope that this episode helped you in one way or another. We'll see you next time. That's it for this episode of Health Beyond Mormonism. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share it with someone you love. Search, ponder, and pray about what you learned today. Come find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and return and report. We'll see you guys next time.